Good morning. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here at Trailhead, and uh, it is my, my privilege to be able to welcome you to our celebration of Advent this year. And uh, hopefully, first, first off, I hope you all uh, had a good weekend, had a good Thanksgiving holiday uh, with whomever you were able to celebrate that with. I hope it was a restful time. I hope it was an opportunity for you to reflect uh, with gratitude on the blessings that you've been given. Um, but now, as we, we do every year, we move past Thanksgiving and we move into the season of Advent. Um, we mentioned this at the very top of the service in the liturgy, lighting the candle and all of that. Um, and we've been using and we use this terminology of Advent. And for some of you, that may be new language. Um, you may have always heard or you may be used to the language of the Christmas season. And is it the same thing? And maybe for a lot of you, you hear Advent and you just kind of substitute out Christmas, Advent, it's the same thing. What I want to start with um, this morning is to kind of tell you there's a difference. Um, There's a difference between Advent and Christmas. And so when we talk about over these next four weeks, celebrating or recognizing or commemorating Advent together, we're talking about something slightly different than just talking about Christmas. Um, Let me explain what I mean by that. Christmas, the word Christmas, um, is the combination of Christ Mass, and so it was the Mass holiday or the, the celebration honoring Christ's birth, which makes sense. We all know that, right? You all know what Christmas is. It's when we celebrate Jesus being born. That makes sense. Um, we've heard of that. Theologically, we refer to that as the incarnation, when Jesus came to earth and put on flesh. And that's a big part of what we're celebrating. It's a big part of Advent, but it's not all that there is to Advent. Advent is slightly different. Advent literally means uh, the coming or the arrival. Um, And so when we celebrate Advent, when we talk about Advent, we're celebrating Christ's coming. Now, you're like, that's the same thing. Jesus being born, Christ coming, that's the same thing. Well, except for this one important distinction, and this is what I want to make sure we all understand as we go into this next month together. Historically, as the church has celebrated Advent, they talk about Jesus coming, not just being born as a human, what we celebrate at Christmas, but also his expected future coming when he will come again and restore the world and put right everything that's been broken. So when we use the term Advent, we're talking about Jesus coming, not just that he has come in the past, Christmas, but that he will come again in the future. Uh, Historically speaking, and this isn't exactly how we're going to break things down over this next month, but historically speaking, when the church celebrated Advent, they spent the first two weeks talking about Christ's second coming, his return, his future still to come, Advent. And then they spent the last two weeks talking about his first Advent, his arrival on earth, the incarnation, what leads up to Christmas. That might seem a little bit backwards to us even. We would think, well, first you talk about the first time he came, and then you look forward to his second coming. But the truth is this, and this is huge. Without the second Advent, the first Advent really doesn't have much meaning. If there's not a promise that Jesus is coming again, 
then the fact that he came the first time doesn't have much power. So when we talk about Advent, and for the next four Sundays leading up towards Christmas, we're not just going to be observing and celebrating Christmas. We're observing Advent. We're looking forward. We're looking forward, yes, to Christmas, of course. Everybody looks forward to, well, I shouldn't say everybody, but many people look forward to Christmas. But we're not just looking forward to that. We're also looking forward with hope to his second advent, Christ's return. So what I want to look at today, as we kind of set this stage, is a really simple truth. So this message this morning, super simple, okay? Partly, I'm sure, Thanksgiving, lots of stress, looking forward, lots of stuff coming up. This is always a stressful time, so I'm just going to keep it really, really simple this morning, okay? All I want to do is look at this very simple truth But I hope in doing so it will shape how we approach this season. And here's the simple truth. We, we all collectively, each of us individually, we need Advent. We need it. We approach holidays, we approach especially the Christmas season a lot of times. The older you get, you probably recognize this is true, the older you get, the more almost dread you have towards a lot of holidays. All the stress, all of the, the logistics, all of the busyness, everything that comes with it. And it can get to a point where you actually aren't looking forward to holidays, but you're dreading them. In fact, for many of us, this just sounds old and bitter and grizzled and cynical, so I'm sorry. I actually had a really great Thanksgiving, okay? So you're gonna be like, man, what's up with Aaron? I'm just saying, for many of us, the more we live, the more Christmases we live through, the more we start to think, what's the point? Right? Because we get all our hopes up, right? We get that expectation, that anticipation, this is gonna be it, this is gonna be the year This is going to be whatever. And then it comes and it goes and you're like, ah, we're we're still right where we were. But what I want you to hear, this season, we need Advent. It's not a burden. It's not something that we have to trudge through for the next month. Just hold on, don't worry, it'll all be over. No, this is something we not just want, we desperately need. There's a tension at the heart of Advent between the stress but the expectation. The the almost sometimes fear and doubt and worry, but the hope. Let's let's start today by looking at our passage. We're going to be in the Gospel of John, and this is where we're going to be uh, for this entire month as we look at Advent. If you don't have a Bible, we're in John chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one uh, under one of the seats in front of you, and on that Bible, you can go to page 886, and we're going to read John chapter 1. We're going to read all of verses 1 through 18. We're not going to look at all of that this morning, um, but that's going to be our passage throughout this Advent season, so I'm going to start it out by reading this whole passage with you this morning. It's really, really awesome. So, John chapter 1. Verses 1 through 18. Here we go. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side He has made him known. The word of the Lord. All right, um, so as we look at this passage and as we move into this season, and we're going to be taking time to go through all of this um, or much of this passage, but I want to start this morning just by giving you a little bit of context here, okay? A couple of things to know up front. Um, First of all, just the the book itself, the book of John, in your Bible, depending on what your Bible says at the top, it might say the gospel according to John. John is one of four books at the very beginning of the New Testament that we refer to as the gospels. The gospels are four different biographies of Jesus' life. Each one is slightly different, but John is more different than all the others. In fact, the other three are so similar, they have a name they're referred to often as the synoptic gospels. You don't need to know what that means. It just means they're really similar. And then John is like very different. Now they all four tell the story of Jesus' life, but they tell it in very different ways. And John is different specifically because the style in which it's written is very different. It's more kind of poetic than the other gospels. So for example, if you were to read the, the, the gospel of Matthew or the gospel of Luke, you would start out and you would read a much more straightforward narrative of Jesus' birth. Because as most of us are, are used to when you read a biography, that's kind of how it starts, you know, with somebody being a child and, or even specifically with when they were born. And so Matthew and Luke approach Jesus' life story in that way. John's different. John approaches with this very sort of poetic, almost philosophical opening that reflects less on the what happened and more on why it happened and why it matters so much. So we're going to be looking at John, and this might not seem necessarily like what you're used to as much as, quote, a Christmas passage, because there's nothing about wise men or about Mary and Joseph or donkeys or any of that kind of stuff. But this is very, very, very much the heart, the core of what we're talking about with Advent. Because this passage, John is talking about Jesus coming to earth in the flesh and why he came and why it matters so much. The other piece of context we need to be thinking about then 
is that historic context, not just of when John was writing, but what was going on at the time when Jesus came to earth, when he was born in the first century, okay? which we refer to now as the first century because we date centuries based around the time when Jesus was born. Right? So when Jesus was born, nobody would have said, we are living in the first century because they weren't counting time in that way. Jesus' birth changed everything, everything. But prior to him coming, and even when he first arrived, nobody saw that. The first advent wasn't this huge, massive, cosmic event that everybody was counting down to. Instead, it came in a really, really dark time, especially for for the children of Israel. We refer to as God's people, the Jews, um, who Jesus was one of and through whom God had promised he was going to bless the entire world. So if you go all the way back to the beginning of the story, God makes a promise to Abraham that through him and through his offspring, he's going to bless the entire world. And he promised him a land, and the Jewish people had moved into that land. They had inhabited that land. But ever since that time, this is way before Jesus, ever since that time, it had been a mess. And they weren't blessing anybody. In fact, they just kept getting like conquered, overrun, overtaken. And it's just a cycle as you read what we refer to again as the Old Testament. You read over and over just the people of Israel going into captivity to all these different nations. And, and they would have prophets, God would speak through men to the children of Israel and tell them, but my promise will stand, this is still going to happen, I'm still going to bless you. In fact, specifically, God would promise that he's going to send someone, his chosen one, or the, 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 the word that they would use to refer to the chosen one, the Messiah, was going to come and rescue the people of Israel, from their captivity. And these prophets would say this. They'd prophesy. And so the children of Israel would have hope. They would trust this is going to happen. And then, after all these prophets and all these times of maybe this is the time and they they were captivity to this nation and then they weren't in captivity anymore but then they were in captivity to another nation and all this cycles going on and on and then there's just silence. And prophets stopped speaking. God stopped speaking through prophets for 400 years. 400 years. So they have this promise that God's going to send a Messiah, but they're just waiting and waiting. And at this point, when we kind of meet the story, they're in captivity to the Romans, and they're waiting. And God's promised, somebody's coming to rescue you. There's a Savior coming. There's a Messiah coming who's going to take this all away. He's going to make everything better. He's going to put everything right. And so they're waiting, and they're waiting, and they're waiting, and they're waiting 400 years. And the longer they wait, just the more tired they get more weary they get. And we say they waited for 400 years, but come on, you know this. There's nobody who was alive who was 400 years old. So the people who were alive who were waiting in the first century, they weren't even alive when those prophecies were made. And you know how stuff fades over generations. And so the people who had seen 
seen with their own eyes these incredible miracles and heard with their own ears prophets speaking the words of God, they had long died. And so now what you've got are a bunch of people who have heard the stories, but they haven't seen it and experienced it themselves. All they've seen and experienced themselves is captivity. And they're tired. They're worn out. I say all this, yes, to set the stage, but more than that, so that we can all recognize the situation in the first century when Jesus came was not that different than what we experience today. We're tired too, aren't you? I am. I'm weary. I've tried to have patience. I feel like I've been waiting. And, and I'll be honest, there's, there's a version of this sermon where I go through and list all the different things that are wearing us down and making us tired right now. I don't really need to, do I? I mean, you guys can kind of fill in the blanks, right? Please? <laughs> I mean, mostly, if you're like me, I'm just tired of being tired. There's so much, and I feel like we've been waiting for so long. Not 400 years, obviously, but I thought, I mean, all the jokes last year were about 2020, and 2021 hasn't all been that much better. Sorry, I shouldn't even say that, but man, it's just so hard, isn't it? We're weary. We're tired. Even though the circumstances between first century Israel and modern day America are very different circumstances. There are themes that overlap, similar themes. There's political tension, right? There's displacement, there was isolation. There was promise of great things and then shattered expectations. All those things were true then. The emotions are the same. The attitude's the same. But Jesus came in. Jesus came to earth in that moment, in that time of darkness after many, many years of waiting, when things seemed so dark and so bleak, Jesus came in the first advent and he changed things. So the question is, can he do that again? Is it possible that Jesus can change our current weariness? Is it possible that we can celebrate even in a time like this? Our title for, for our sermon series over this season is uh, A Weary World Rejoices. It comes from the classic carol, O Holy Night. The full line, A Thrill of Hope, A Weary World Rejoices. Is that possible? Is that possible? Is it possible to be weary and to be rejoicing? Is it possible to have a thrill of hope even in our pain, even in our tiredness, even in our circumstances? Is it possible to have hope? There's only one way. 
There's only one way that's possible. And it's this, if Jesus meets us in our darkness. Let me show you what I mean. Look at verse number nine. I told you we're not going to look at every verse um, in this passage this morning. Over the next month, we're going to go through this passage together. But verse nine, I want to look at this morning. It says this, the true light, meaning Jesus, the true light which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. Now, John uses two metaphors um, here in this passage to talk about Jesus, the word. We'll talk more about that in future weeks. And the light. And the light, the metaphor of light, is really important because if you think about what that situation, what that time was like, the darkness being that it was, what, what does darkness do? It makes us incapable of seeing. And the more our world feels like darkness, the more whatever our circumstances are surround us and block our vision from seeing, we don't see not just Jesus, we don't see the truth, period. But Jesus himself is the light that comes in. So verse 9, I think it's really important that we recognize when John talks about Jesus, he doesn't say Jesus showed us the light. He doesn't say Jesus gives us light. He says Jesus is the light. Now why does that matter? It matters for this reason. Jesus doesn't speak to us from on high. He comes down with us. In, in the first century, or if you go back before that, um, what the Jewish people were used to with their prophets was God speaking through prophets to the people. God's word coming to them, but coming through someone else. God speaking on high and speaking to the people. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus was God down in the flesh coming down to earth. Jesus doesn't speak to us from way up on high and say, here's what you need to do. I'm going to show you what you should do. Let me tell you how to fix things. Jesus doesn't give us instructions or information and say, here's what you need to know, now go fix it. Jesus says, I'm coming down with you. Jesus doesn't say, okay, here's how you need to be better, here's what you need to change, now go fix yourself. Get rid of this darkness. Let me show you, I'll show you, let me tell you about what you need to do, okay, here's the law, Here's the rules. Here's the ways you're not following the rules. Go get, go get better. Go make that work. Jesus comes down himself as the light. He steps into our darkness. Most of us, I would guess most of us are well acquainted with our shortcomings. We recognize what we need to fix most of the time. Or maybe not, if we don't know exactly what needs to be fixed, we know something needs to be fixed, right? Very few of us look in the mirror and say, well, gee, I guess I'm pretty much perfect. Wish somebody would point out some things that aren't going right for me. I don't, I, I, looks like everything's just fine, 
right? Most of us know there's problems. The question isn't, is there a problem in my life? The question isn't, do I have a mess here? The question isn't, is there darkness? The question is, how do I fix it? And what most of us do is we try to fix the darkness with our own darkness, if that makes sense. We try to use our own personal efforts to try to make things better. Jesus shows us, first of all, I mean, Jesus does show us our problems. He does, but he does it because he enlightens everything. Verse 9 says, the true light which enlightens everyone. He shows us the truth. When we see Jesus, we see perfection, we see truth. It does show us our own sin and darkness. But the problem is that we see our sin, we see our darkness, we see our circumstances, but we don't always see the light. This is what's crazy. Verse 10, he was in the world, Jesus was in the world. The world was made through him, he made everything. Yet the world did not know him. Jesus is the creator. Jesus made everything. Jesus came to earth. And yet, we, they, them, but we still today don't even see him. We just keep focusing on what we can do, how we can make it better, or what we can't do, how we can't make it better. We see the mess, we see the darkness. We want to try to use our own resources to fix our problems. I want to use the world's solution to fix the world's problems. And I think maybe if I could just get more wealth or more power, more respect, if I could have more discipline or more knowledge, whatever, I, I could just fix this. If I could just try harder, I can fix this. But Jesus comes to us. And here's what's so crazy. Jesus comes to us and he doesn't offer us a solution. He offers us himself. Look at verse 11. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, this is verse 12, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He came, Jesus came, in the flesh. And he offered to them the right to become children of God. How? If they would receive his plan, if they would receive his teaching, if they would receive his advice, no, verse 12, but to all who did receive him, Jesus comes to us and he doesn't offer us the chance to get better, he offers us himself. If you've ever had, um, have you ever had a situation, maybe you've seen a, a small child who's really stuck in something, and, and they're stuck, and they're trying, and they're trying, and they're trying to fix something, and you know that they can't do it on their own because they're just too small, they don't have the dexterity, they don't have whatever it is, and so you want to try to help them. Has this ever happened to you? And you try to help them, and they say, no, 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 I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to do it myself. Why? Because all of us, all of us, every single one of us wants to be independent. We want to believe we can fix ourselves. We want to 
believe we can fix our own problems. And so that's every child. And they say, I, I always remember this very specific, and um, I didn't ask for permission, but my kids aren't here right now, so it's okay. Um, it's a very specific time. I was sitting in the front seat of our van, and one of my kids, I won't tell you which one, um, this isn't like a super embarrassing story or anything. I'm setting it up like this is a horrible thing. But um, one of my kids dropped a toy, and this was back. They were in one of those car seats with the five point, like, you know, the kind of thing where you can't barely move at all. And so they're all strapped in. They drop this toy, and they're trying, and they can't reach it at all. And they're like, I can't get it, I can't get it, I can't get it. And I was like, well, let me get it for you. And they're like, no, no. I'm like, well, you, you can't reach it. Let me just reach it for you. No, I'll get it. And then crying, I can't get it, I can't get it, I can't get it. Well, let me get it. No. It's like, what, what is going on here? Because this is us. This is every single one of us. We're stuck in darkness. And there's nothing we can do. And no amount of coaching or advice is going to help us. I could have sat in that, I was sitting in that front seat, I could have said, well, you know, I can see it. It's just off to your left a little bit. You just reach, just reach a little more. They couldn't do it. They were strapped in. They were incapable of even undoing their own straps, let alone reaching down to where the thing, the toy they wanted was. I could have coached them up and down. I could have given them lots of examples. I could have told them about times that I had reached toys that were on the floor, right? The only thing that was going to help at that point was for me to reach down and pick up the toy and hand it to them because they were completely incapable of reaching it on their own. We are, as human beings, absolutely stuck. We are absolutely on our own, incapable. We are in darkness. And we try, and we try, and we try, in our darkness, to fix ourselves. We don't need advice. We don't need a good example. We need a rescuer. We don't need somebody who stays up on high and tells us what to do. We need somebody who comes down and gets down in the darkness with us. Verse 13 doubles down on this. Look at this. Verse 12 said, To all who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born. Look at what John says. Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. He says, you've got to see this. God's rescue for us is not by our own effort. It's not by our will. It's not by our willpower. It's not by our great mental acuity. We don't figure this thing out on our own. It's all, all, all a gift from God. Now let me be really super clear about this. Jesus comes to us. He meets us in our mess. But the beauty of it and the reason that we worship him is not just because he came, he didn't just join us in our mess. I mean, that would be one thing. If Jesus became a human and then just came and lived just like us as a sinful human. He came into the darkness and then it was just more darkness. That's not what happened. Jesus joined us. He came to us. He met us in our mess and then he defeated that mess. He defeated the darkness. Look back 
I'm sorry, this is out of order, but I think this is important. Verses four and five, it says, in him, this is talking about Jesus, was life. The life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is huge. When Jesus came as the light to earth, he came to win. He came to defeat the darkness. Jesus came to earth. He came as a human being. He stepped into the mess with us. But in that, he took all of our sin. He took all of our darkness. He took it all on himself, and then he broke it to pieces. He shattered it. He defeated death. He rose from the dead. Physically, historically, factually, Jesus died and came back to life. He defeated the darkness. And if we receive him, this is what John says, if we receive him, literally in in the Greek, that word receive in verses 11 and 12 means to be joined together with him. If we are joined together to Jesus, then we are joined together to that resurrection. We share in that victory. Jesus meets us in the darkness but he doesn't leave us in the darkness. If we receive him, verse 12, he says, we become children of God. That Jesus comes to us in our hurt, in our need, in our desperate state. And he doesn't just come to give us an example of what a good person would look like. He comes to meet us to take our sin on himself by becoming a human. Not that he sinned, he didn't. But he took the punishment for our sin and died, the punishment we deserve. And then he rose again, victory. Absolute and total victory. And he invites us He invites us to join to him in that victory. A victory we can't earn on our own. We can't win it on our own. We will never. We can't just look at Jesus and be like Jesus. We can't just, well, Jesus was great. He was awesome. He was sinless. I'll just do that and then I can have a victory over death. No, you can't. You can't do it. I can't do it. We are incapable, but he comes to us in our need, in our want, and he offers that we can join with him, that we can be joined to him, that we can share in his victory together. This is the beautiful promise of Advent. Christ came for us. This is why we celebrate. Christ came for us to meet us in our sin, in our darkness, and then to pull us out of that darkness. He is the light that the darkness cannot overcome. This is the beautiful hope, not just of Christ's first coming, but of his future coming as well. 
that all of the darkness around us, one day Jesus will come back and put it all right. Put all things back to the way they were originally intended to be. So, so if that's true, why am I still so weary? If Jesus came to earth and met me in the darkness and conquered the darkness, and if I receive him and I'm joined to him and I share in his victory with him, that's incredible. Why do I still feel like I'm living in darkness so often? Because we still live, because I still live and you still live in between the two advents. This is what life is like in the in-between. Between the Christ came He lived, he died, he rose again. And he will come again. And he will restore all things and make all things right. In between, it's still messy. It's not yet perfect. None of us is perfect yet. We've been redeemed We've been joined to him. If you've you've received him, you've been joined to him. You share in his victory. But you personally are not perfect. But we have a hope of a future full and complete and total restoration. It's an in-between time. So how do we rejoice now? And so this is the big question for this month. How do we rejoice in the in-between and the waiting while the darkness is still real, while death is still real. Jesus has conquered death, but death still happens. How do we rejoice in this in-between time? That's what we're hoping to unpack over the course of this Advent season. That's what we want to dig into as we look through this passage in John and think about Jesus first coming and look forward to his next coming. We are weary, weary but we are rejoicing. We're tired, but we are anticipating. We're in darkness, but we have hope. How can we live with that? How do we live in that in-between time without letting the darkness take over our souls? And that's what we want to look at in this passage. For today, though, for this week, let's just ask this question. What would it look like, as John refers to it, for you to receive him, to believe in his name, as he says, to to believe, to put your trust, not in your own self, your own abilities, but in his name, in who he is, in what he has done. What would it look like to take your trust off of your own efforts To stop trying to use the world's solutions to fix the problems, the darkness around you, and instead to turn to Him. And to put your trust, to put your faith, to put your hope in what He has already done for you. It's like He's picked up that toy off the ground that you couldn't reach and He's holding it out to you. And your choice is, do you want to take it from Him? Or do you want to just keep reaching on your own? What would it look like for you to join yourself to him, to be joined to him, to believe in his name? 
to recognize that the light has come and to allow that light to infiltrate the darkness in your heart. We need Advent. Not because we need a holiday. We don't need more holidays. Not because we need a vacation. Vacations are great, but we don't need more vacations. It's not because we need gifts. More stuff isn't going to help us. We've gotten all the stuff so many years. That one thing that you want this year isn't going to make anything better. You know that. Come on. We don't need... We don't need Christmas. We need Advent. We need Advent because we need a Savior. We don't need to get better. We need a Messiah, a rescuer, who breaks into our darkness and pulls us to himself, into the light. That's what we need. Let's pray. And then we're going to share communion together. If you would, please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, you are so good. You have been so good to us. We don't deserve it. I don't deserve anything. I have nothing to offer, nothing to give you. I'm weak, I'm poor, I'm needy. And yet, you stepped into my darkness. You offered yourself. And I want to push back and I want to say I can do it myself and I want to fix things. And yet, you love me. Thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Advent. Thank you for coming into the darkness. And thank you for the promise that you will come again. God, my earnest prayer this month is that we would see you. That we would not allow the darkness of our circumstances, the darkness of our own hearts, to block our vision of who you are and what you have done for us. God, help us to see Jesus in this Advent season. In your name we pray. Amen.